Well, as we, uh, we come to the study of God's Word this morning, I invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, next week, we'll pick back up and continue our study through the book of Revelation. We'll be there for some time, but I felt just uh, in light of uh, certainly this time of transition in the life of the church that it would be important to address a few things and some next steps and direction. But as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a, of a story of a family uh, who is from the backwoods of Tennessee. This man, uh, in particular, never been to a city. Uh, you know, they had their own deal, didn't have electricity, all that kind of thing. Just sort of lived out in the middle of nowhere, doing their own own kind of thing. So finally, uh, he ends up having to go to the city one day for some reason. So he brings his family with him, and uh, uh, he finds himself in front of an elevator for the first time in his life. And this old woman with uh, gray hair, and she's kind of raggedy and everything else, and she has her cane, and she's walking in to this elevator, and the doors close, and a couple minutes later, out walks this beautiful young uh, woman out of the elevator. And so he turns to his son, who is with him, and he says, Billy, go get your mom. (laughs) Uh, Uncharted territory (laughs) and change kind of go hand in hand. Uh, when you're exposed to new things, when new things happen, uh, when there are things that you just never experienced before, uh, there can oftentimes be question, and there can oftentimes be wonder of, well, what is coming next? And uh, certainly, as we as a church go through this period of transition, where we move from the old raggedy man, no, where we move from, uh, you know, Pastor George and his 34 years of service and move into these next steps, uh, it's a time of change. And change is difficult. And typically there's two responses to change. One would be that we can either accept it, we can either move with change, or we tend to resist change. Uh, And I think certainly uh, even this building and this church here is a testament uh, to the acceptance of change and understanding God's will and direction. Uh, you know, for me, this, this physical location, this building has been my church home because when I first came, uh, I was only at the other building for three months. This has certainly been where most of my time has been spent. But for some of you and for many of you, uh, the church on Bennett's Corners Road was home. You spent the majority of your time there. It must have been difficult to pick up and to move and to come here. And so there could have been a resistance to it, or there could be an acceptance of, well, this is God's plan, this is God's will. And I think certainly in the acceptance of that, look what God has so graciously done and blessed us with here. And so in times of change, in times of uh, difficulty and uncharted territory and the unknowns and the fear of it, uh, we either accept or we resist. And if I stood up here this morning and I told you that uh, there would be no change, that uh, the two weeks ago or three, you know, whatever weeks ago, that Sunday and, and how Pastor George ran things, that that's the way it's always going to be and that's the way that we're going to do things, I, I would be lying because change is inevitable. Your bulletin has already changed, right? <laughs> so there are certain things that some things have already changed. But this morning what I want to do is I want to reaffirm and I want to reassure you of certain aspects of our church and the core of us as a church, and what makes up our identity as a church of things that will never change, of things that we have practiced, things that we believe, things that we have done that will not change. Uh, And hopefully in doing so, and looking at it through God's word and why we hold to these things and why we believe these things, it would bring a sense of, of comfort 
but also re-instill re uh, the importance of why we practice these things corporately as a church together and what some of our next steps will be. So uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, it was already read to us, but we're going to look here at verse 1, and this is the first uh, sort of core, the first truth, the staple of us as a church, uh, which will not change, but we are committing ourselves to, and that's this, is our commitment to Scripture. We will be a church that is committed to the Word of God. Uh, the importance and the understanding of this as we look here in Ephesians chapter 4 comes with what it says in verse 1. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. See, Paul, as he's addressing this group of believers here and writing this to the, the church at Ephesus, he's telling them, he's saying, look, there are certain characteristics about what it means to live a godly life and what it means to practice godliness that should be evident and true in your life and in the life of a church. He's just got done in the chapters before talking about uh, the makeup of the church Christ being at the cornerstone of the church, that, that now it's a place where Jews and Gentiles come together and, and are one in Christ. And so as he, he addresses that with, with the, those he's writing to here, he talks about what their own personal conduct should be, and he starts out by saying, look, you, you need to walk the walk. He says in verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. He's telling them that it is important that what you say you believe about your faith, what you say that is true of your life and what Christ has done for you, is actually fleshed out and lived in the way that you're living. Clearly, this is a, a big uh, concept that we would understand in our own life, in the sense of consistency in our walk with the Lord. That we wouldn't just say we believe certain things, that we wouldn't just on paper write down that we believe certain things, but it would actually be true in the way that we're living our life. We're consistent with it. Uh, you know, Orson is at this age now where he's two years old and he knows everything, right? Uh, his imagination is running wild, his creativity is running wild. And so there are times where I'll ask him a question. I'll be like, Orson, do you know what dispensationalism is? And he'll be like, yeah, okay, all right, so what is it? And he'll be like, yeah, there's no idea, right, no idea. It's easy for us sometimes as believers to say we believe certain things, to say it's true of us, but it's not really consistent once we're kind of pressed to it. We have to be consistent in our walk. And so Paul reminds these believers as well, walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So the question then is, how do we do this? Well, he talks about the manner in which it should happen. We'll talk about that a little bit later with this humility and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another. But then in verse 4, he says this, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all, and in you all. What he's doing here is he's reminding them of biblical principles, biblical truths about who God is, the character of God, that, that they should understand, that they should know, that should be true of them, so that they can walk that walk. 
And so the way that I, I, I look at this and understand this is that the way that we walk the walk is by the application of these biblical truths that are centered around the triune God, the person and the character of God. All of the, the statements that he makes in verse 4, they're talking about uh, the Spirit, talking about Christ, one Lord, talking about this one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. He's reminding them of those foundational truths of who we are and our position as believers and who God is and his characteristics in our relation to him. And the more that we practice those things and the more that we understand those things and the more that we seek those things and we seek to walk worthy and to live for that God... We will therefore look to be consistent in our walk with him. But the only way in which we get these principles, the only way in which we get uh, this, this biblical truth is through being committed to his word. If you're going somewhere else to find what about the person of God outside of what he says in his word, you're doing it the wrong way. The word of God is where our truth comes from. This is where our, our, our source of understanding and superiority comes from. It's a commitment to scripture. And so we as individuals and we as a church family must be committed to scripture and the application of scripture in these biblical truths if we seek to grow in our faith and walk with Christ. And our understanding of that and, and realizing that helps us understand this point that the reality and the resolve so the genuineness and the stick to of our faith is only going to be as great as our reliance is on God's word. If we as individuals or we as a church ever move past the word of God being central to what we do here, then our faith is going to suffer. And so we need to now be even more committed to God and to his word. That this book, this Bible, the truths of this word are central to everything that we do here and that we do as a church. From the ministries that we have, to the songs that we sing, uh, to the, the way that we deal with one another, to the way that we operate, to the way that we function, from the teaching, from the preaching, it's centered by the word of God because this is God's truth to us and this is what helps us grow. And so we need to be committed to scripture. And certainly we as a church have been and we will continue to be. So committed to scripture. A second truth and sort of foundational thing for us is this, uh, is careful teaching. I'll explain and kind of expound on this and, and what this means here in a few moments, but we first have to answer another, uh, which can sometimes be a difficult question to answer, uh, and that is what is the purpose of the church? Why do we exist as a church? What's our goal? What is the purpose. I encourage you to look back in the text, Ephesians chapter 4, start reading at uh, verse 11. It says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I don't know that in Paul and his dealing with this and his writing of this to this church and talking about who they are and the makeup of the church could have given us a better sort of mission statement uh, for the purpose of the church than this. It's pretty clear to me. The purpose of the church is the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure and the stature of fullness of Christ. 
the purpose of the church primarily is that it would be a place for believers to come together and to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. That is the purpose of the church. That it would primarily be a place where those who have a faith in Jesus Christ can come and can be edified together. Edified through worship, edified through fellowship, edified through the, the study of Scripture, that it would, uh, they would apply it to their lives for the purpose of maturity and growth in Christ. Certainly, that is the, the, the goal and the purpose of, of why we exist and what we do here, that you would come as believers in Christ and be able to be equipped, to be prepared, to be taught, to go out and to do what Christ has asked us to do. And that this church would also be a place that you can come and to be encouraged and challenged and uplifted and that you can dig into Scripture and learn Scripture and study Scripture so that you can grow in your faith and maturity in Christ. I, I would hope that that's the reason why you're here. I, I really honestly can't think of any other reason why someone would want to come to church if they weren't looking to grow in their maturity and their faith in Christ. I mean, the coffee here is good, but it's not that good, okay? <laughs> this, to me, is, this is the primary purpose of the church. This is what we are to be about, that this would be that place where believers will come and to be equipped and to be edified and that they can grow and mature in their walk with Christ in everything that we do. That's the purpose of the church. Now, a question that goes along with this is, why is that the purpose of the church? And the text gives us that answer. Look what it says starting in verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. The reason why this is the purpose of the church is because the problem that exists is weak-minded Christians. You know, verse 14 lays out pretty clearly that the thing that we are to stay away from is that we would no longer be children who are just tossed around by, by every new belief and every new teaching that, that comes out there. Um, again, you know, going back to, to Orson, he's you know, at that gullible age as well where you could tell him anything and he would believe that it's true, right? Because that's what children tend to do. You could tell a child... Uh, pretty any, you know, any much sort of belief or whatever you want to tell them, and, and they usually grab onto it because they think, oh yeah, that, that probably is right. That's the comparison that, that Paul is making here is that we wouldn't be like that. We wouldn't just go with the, the ebbs and flow of teaching and doctrine as it comes and goes and changes because we have no maturity. And unfortunately, I think that this is sort of the greater problem when it comes to our philosophy of ministry and when it comes to the purpose of the church changing from a place where believers can come and grow and mature together, and now where the church in a lot of circles has become a place where unsaved people can come and just be. And the issue that, that I personally see with that is that if you have to change the idea and the purpose of the church to be a place where unsafe people can come in and be comfortable, then it comes at the expense of maturing believers in Christ. And it comes certainly at the expense of the word of God. And that is, a, is a, an issue. Because if the church no longer is the place where believers can come to be edified, it's no longer the place where believers can come to be equipped, it's no longer the place where believers can come to mature in their faith, then where else is that going to take place? 
That's the function. That's the purpose. It's supposed to happen in the church body. And unfortunately, as churches gear themselves more towards just bringing in unsaved people, it comes at the expense of foundational important things that lead to maturity and growth for the believer. Uh, You know, certain aspects of things, you know, casualness and whatever else, I I could get over those things. But when it comes to not talking about certain aspects of scripture, I think that is a big problem. You know, unsaved people aren't going to like to hear offensive messages. Unsaved people aren't going to be drawn in because you tell them how bad they are on a weekly basis or you talk about sin. And so a lot of churches that have geared themselves and they, they've changed that, that purpose of the church towards unbelievers have done away with talking about sin, have done away with talking about uh, uh, difficult issues of Scripture because they don't want to offend others. But the problem is if we don't do that, if we don't seek to mature and equip and, and to edify and we don't seek to, to study God's Word all it's going to do is lead to a weak-mindedness in Christians. And I think we have seen that in many churches today. They might be bringing droves of people in, but when you ask them why they believe what they believe and you get down to the, the brass tacks of it, they're easily tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind and doctrine. What we do as a church, and whatever the next steps may be as we move forward must never come at the expense of the word of God and maturing believers towards Christ-likeness. That's the purpose, and that's what we have to be about. Because again, the solution, what it says, look what it says, it goes on in verse 15. It says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. The solution is maturity through truth that we would preach the truth, that we would speak the truth. And that's how this plays into our careful teaching, that we don't avoid difficult issues. Look back what it says in verse 13. It says, Till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's talking about maturity there. And we do that through speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. The way that we come to maturity and the way that we grow together as a church and as believers is by talking about sometimes difficult things of Scripture, by talking about sin, by talking about sex, by talking about pornography, by talking about homosexuality, by talking about abortion, by talking about doctrine, by talking about deep things that sometimes might go right over our heads. Because if God's Word says it, we need to know it. And so we study the Word of God. We don't back away from it. We don't shy away from it because it's offensive to some. By nature, the word of God and the message of Christ is an offensive message. And we have to understand that we're already going to offend people. And so we can't allow ourselves as a church to change our mindset and to change our purpose at the expense of the truth of God's word. Because this is how we're going to grow. This is how we're going to mature together. But unless you think... I'm telling you that you should never invite an unsafe person to this church. Completely wrong, okay? I want you to invite unsafe people here. I want you to bring your family and friends who need to hear the gospel of Christ 
here because I don't think that there is any better place for them to be to hear the word of God and to hear the teaching than right here. So I want this to be a place that you feel comfortable bringing people who you know aren't saved to this church. And you know what? Some things that we talk about might go over their heads. But look what it says in verse 15. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. It's not just that we speak the truth and we don't shy away in our teaching and our handling of Scripture but it's that we do it in such a way that I think we can still balance and communicate truth, but do it in a way that still demonstrates grace and love that would still direct people towards Christ. I think we can talk about difficult and offensive things in Scripture and still direct people to the person and the work of Jesus Christ and their need for a Savior on a regular basis. And I think that this place is a place where you can invite your family and your, your unsafe family, unsafe friends, unsafe coworkers, unsafe neighbors, whoever it might be, and we can still talk about the things of Scripture, exposit God's Word, talk about difficult things, mature together, and those who are unsaved can still hear the gospel of Christ and allow the Word of God to change them because the Word of God will never return void. And I think that can happen with anything that we talk about in God's Word. And so in love and in truth, growing up in all things into him who is the head Christ. So we're committed to scripture and we're committed to the careful teaching of God's word. We will not back down from certain topics or certain things. If God's word says it, we'll study it, we'll look at it, we'll apply it, okay? A third thing is this, is that we would be defined as caring people. Uh, interesting that there's one really big uh, characteristic that is true of uh, this text and this, this passage. Uh, we see it throughout chapter 4, and that's unity. That we as believers together would be united in a few different areas. And the first one was, is this, that we would be united in our calling. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness or humility, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We as believers in this church family should be united in our calling, and that calling is that we're trying to walk the walk. We're trying to walk consistently with what the Word of God says. We are trying to look more like Christ. And it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your history. It doesn't matter your, your struggles. It doesn't matter your sins. It doesn't matter those things. If you are a believer in Christ and you are here, we are all just trying to become more like Christ. We are united in that. And so oftentimes where the church is a place of tension and division and of gossip, those things ought not to be because we are all just trying to become more like Christ together. At the end of the day, we have that common bond. That's what we are about. And we should be patient with one another. We should be long-suffering. We should be gentle. We should be kind. We should love one another. We should seek to keep that peace, that unity that brings us together, not those things that drive us apart. So we need to be caring people that are united by our calling also that we would be united in our gift. Look what it says in verse 11. It says, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers 
And then it goes on in verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share. That we would be united in our gifts, that you would identify what God has blessed you with, you would identify the areas that God has given you talents, and that it would, you would use those within the church to serve and to uplift the church body as a whole. You know, if, if we enjoy many meals at this church from, you know, fancy meals to nice men's prayer breakfast where it's eggs and sausage and bacon and all those things, let me tell you what, if you can't flip a spatula, if you can't make eggs, you, you don't belong in the kitchen. I'm just going to let you know that, okay? You don't, don't sign up to be in the kitchen ministry if you can't do that. But that's not to look at those people that serve there and just be like, oh, I can't, oh, I hate them. I wish they know how to flip eggs and I wish I could do that. And just, and it leads to, no, that's silly. Identify the areas in which God has gifted you, in which God has blessed you, and use those to support and uphold the ministry and the church and to serve the church body. Be united in our gifts. We're working together in how God has gifted us and blessed us to do the work of the ministry. Verse 11, he's given some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. God has gifted us with different things to do his work. So we need to be united in that. And also that we'd be united in our growth. Look what it says at the end of verse 16. It talks about the, the being joined and knit together by which every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. And that causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Our desire should be that we, yes, would grow individually as believers here, but also as we're doing these things together, as we're serving, as we're loving, as we're caring, as we're encouraging one another, that corporately as a church, we are growing together. We're learning together. We're being encouraged together. We're being edified and equipped together. And that we'll see that evident in the life of our church. But that's understood and that's sort of surrounded and encapsulated here in the unity and the care that we have for one another. And I think that's uh, one thing that we have done very well, uh, especially in recent years of moving up to this location. You know, uh, people will often say about the care and the, the kindness of the people of this church. And I would encourage you that that would continue, that that would never not be true of us. I mean, how terrible would it be to be, you know, oh, First Baptist Church of Memphis, oh, the church that doesn't care. You, know, you want to put that on your sign, right? It'd be terrible. We want to be a church that loves people. We want to be a church that's united together. We want to be a church that loves one another and encourages and helps one another as we seek to grow in Christ. So commitment to scripture, careful teaching, caring people. And this last one here is that we'd have a cause for community. A cause for community. Uh, going back to what the purpose of the church is, again, we, we looked at that, that text, the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, and I think that's an important line for us there. The church is supposed to be a place where you can come as a believer in Christ, be fed, be taught, be edified, but be equipped to go out and to do the work of the ministry. And there are a lot of different facets and a lot of different things and, and ways that, that that takes place, certainly in caring for one another, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, certainly that we would be kind to one another, certainly that we would teach one another, that we would counsel one another, that we would do all of those things. Uh, but clearly there's another huge aspect of this uh, that we would be able to go out and we would be able to spread the message of the gospel and have an impact uh, for the cause of Christ even within our community here. 
there's a few different aspects of this in that relation to what is the work of the ministry. And I think the first one is that we would be a people who are prepared. First uh, Peter chapter three, verse 15 says this. It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. Certainly, I would hope that you would be able to come here to this church and that you would be equipped to give a defense and an answer for what the work of Christ has done in your life. That as you are rubbing shoulders with neighbors, rubbing shoulders with unsaved people, rubbing shoulders with those in the community, that if they ask you a question about why do you believe this or why do you act this way, that you would be prepared to give that answer. And that we as a church would be a part of preparing believers to do just that. That we might have an effective testimony as we deal with people in our community. You know, when you're out there in the community, you're talking to people, we want you to be informed. We want you to to know what it is that you're talking about. We want you to know what it is that that Christ has done in your life, to know what Scripture says about certain things. That's why we have to equip. That's why we have to preach the Word. That's why we have to train. So it's true of us. And so certainly, if someone asks us, we're ready and we're prepared. Another aspect of that is that we would be purposeful. Uh, This was uh, taught to us last week by... Dan Ransom was so appreciative of uh, he and his family being here and of his uh, reminding us of this text and the call for believers for the church to verse, uh, Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. You cannot get away from the fact that one of the jobs, one of the works of the ministry that we as believers are told to do is to go out and is to share the gospel and to spread the gospel. That is part of what we are to do as believers. It is fantastic to have all of you here and to see the same faces week after week. It's great. And I love to learn and I love to to grow and do that together. But if we only ever kept this to ourselves, that would be a pretty sorry thing. You You think back to the moment of your salvation. Think to the people that encouraged you and shared Christ with you. What if they never did? Nah, I'm just gonna keep that to me, right? No. We are told to go out and to share the gospel, to tell others the good news, to go and and to teach and and help them to observe those things that God has taught in his word. And so certainly we as a a church, we do things that will hopefully aid in that purpose. Uh, I'm so thankful for this church body and that we are able to provide opportunities for just that to take place. Uh, Whether it's the senior luncheons that Uh, we host uh, each month, whether it's Thursday night basketball, whether it's the pickleball ministry that started up, uh, whether it's vacation Bible school, whether it's allowing uh, outside groups to come and to to use the gym just to be a testimony to them, right? All of those things have a purpose to demonstrate and to share the love of Christ so that they might understand what it means to have a relationship with God through Christ. There's a purpose behind these things. And so the work of the ministry, and one of the things that we would seek to do is to provide opportunity for us to do that individually and certainly to do that corporately. That's why we support missionaries. 
You think we, we support missionaries so they can you know, go to these uh, countries and sit on the beach and put their feet up? No. We support our missionaries because we want them to go out and to do the work of spreading the gospel of Christ. Right? That's why we do that. So we're prepared, but also we're purposeful. And then finally here, uh, we're productive. James chapter 1, verse 27 tells us this about religion and what it is to look like. James 1, verse 27, it says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Uh, a quick word study, very quick word study, will show you that there are over 108 passages in Scripture that talk about serving the poor, serving the needy, serving widows, serving orphans. Do you think those things matter to God? Yes. And we as a church should be purposeful but also productive in our pursuit of those things. That we again would provide opportunity where we can support those who are in need. Where we can help those who are sick. Where we can help those who are uh, without. That's why we've, we've sent uh, aid for Ukraine, right? That's why we have taken money for the famine relief. Because we know that God has a concern for these things. And we as God's people and we as God's church should also have a concern for these things. So as we operate here as a church for believers to grow and to mature, we also still need to provide opportunity to do the work of the ministry that God has given us to do. And the desire would be that we, as we are within this community and as God has placed us here, would be able to serve our community well in the work of the ministry by being prepared, being purposeful, being productive, by sharing the love of Christ with others. That's what we would seek and desire to do. So these are the things that we have been about, and these are the things that we will continue to be about. Commitment to scripture, careful teaching, caring people, and a cause for our community, spreading the message of Christ. Those are what the next steps are. Again, certain things may change. It's inevitable that some change is going to happen, right? But these foundational things of what unites us together as a church, of who we are as a church, of who we have been as a church, I am committing to you that for as long as the Lord will have me serve here, these things will always be true of us as a church. They will be true of the makeup and identity of the church. And so if you are a member here especially, and you are on board with that, and you say, yes, this is great, commitment to scripture, that's why I'm here. Right? I love the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God because a lot of churches have gotten away from that. Committed to the Word of God, uh, the careful teaching, not skirting around the, the tough issues. There's a love for each other here. There's a unity for each other here. Uh, and certainly, uh, I find the importance of going out and sharing my faith and spreading the gospel. Yes, all these things are important. Yes, I agree. Amen. Absolutely. Then participate in what we do as a church. Be the church. I'm not going to harp on this too much because I'm going to do it in a couple weeks as we study Revelation. But if you say, yes, all those things sound great, then be a part of it. Serve here. Show up. Uh, there's a, a, a term that's used in television 
if you're flipping through the channels on TV and you just happen to, to go buy something you want to watch and you watch it uh, and you stay on it for a while uh, and then you move on, it's called casual viewership. As opposed to the person who, you know, six o'clock Jeopardy's on, you know, you're sitting there with your popcorn, you got your scorebook and everything, you're dedicated, you're ready to go, right? But the person that just sort of flips through channels, oh, it's on, I'll watch it, whatever, they call it casual viewership. Uh, I'm afraid that sometimes some of us sit here and, and we might be members and we might call this our, our church, but I think sometimes we're just casual viewers of what's going on. We're not really participating. We're not really serving. We might just come to the Sunday morning service. Oh, that was nice. Turn around and leave. And I understand busy schedules, and I understand you know, the, the, the busyness of life and all these other things, but my encouragement to you is this, is that you say, yes, I agree with these things. I'm committed to these things. This is fantastic. Then be a part of what we're doing. Serve God. We need men to step up and to serve the Lord in ministries here. We need young people to go into full-time ministry and to dedicate their lives to serve the Lord. We need women to, to counsel. We need women to encourage. We need people to, to serve and to come and to participate and to, and to share and, and edify and do the work of the ministry. That's what we, we need. And so in these next steps, as much as I want you to hold me accountable to maintaining these things as a church, I want all of us to hold each other accountable to participating in and engaging in these things as well. Uh, so again, don't worry, in a couple weeks I'll nail you again with that, so I won't go too far deeper now. But certainly I hope that as we are in this period of transition, you will understand the foundational things that will not change. We will be committed to the Word of God. We will be committed to the careful teaching of all aspects of God's Word and what it says we will be caring and loving and kind towards one another, united together, and we will care about those that God has placed around us as we seek to reach them for the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the foundation of who we are as believers. It's the foundation of our understanding of the truths of Scripture as it reflects your Son, Christ, and what he's done for us our salvation, our hope. And Father, we're thankful for a church that understands the importance of these things. That we can come together and be united as we study together, as we learn together, as we are edified, we're, we're built up. And Lord, as we are equipped to go out and to do the work of the ministry, to, to share Christ with others, to be prepared, to be ready to give that, that defense and that reason for the hope that is in us. And Lord, certainly in our love and care for one another as well, that this would be a place where people can come and feel encouraged, but also feel challenged, be exhorted when needed, but know that it's coming from a place that seeks to give truth, but in a way that is gracious and loving. So God, we thank you for what you've done in the history of this church. We certainly thank you for the ministry of this church in the last 34 years and what Pastor and Pam have meant to our church family. And Lord, during this time of transition, we do ask that you would help us as we continue to hold ourselves accountable to these things. And as we continue to seek to serve you well with these really uh, intangible things, that these are the things that we must be doing, we have to be doing, that Lord, we would be the church, we would reflect you well, we would serve you well, 
as we grow together in maturity in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I invite you.